This DVD will change your life. I was at a gas station putting air in one of my truck tires uh, when this very random, very scraggly, thoroughly disheveled guy walked up to my truck and said to my girlfriend Mindy, who was still inside, this DVD will change your life. That is a good start to a weird evening. <laughs> My name's Tommy Cummins. I'm on the student team here at Plum Creek. And that night, we were on our way to have dinner with some friends and mentors in order to celebrate a birthday when I noticed that one of my truck tires was low, so we stopped at the gas station, which led to the incident in question. This DVD will change your life. He just sort of handed it to Mindy and then kind of meandered off into oblivion, never to be seen again. And I immediately got in the truck, and I was like, I think we would be better off going to the next gas station to accomplish what we're trying to accomplish. So we drove down the road a little ways, and we noticed almost immediately when we got there that we had some great friends that were walking into the gas station. So we followed them in so that we could say hi. And we learned that they had just got back from the hospital, not because anyone was sick or injured, but because they were going that day to give flowers to new moms. Isn't that a cool thing? And wouldn't you know it, they had one bouquet of flowers left over, Gerber daisies, which just so happens to be Mindy's favorite flowers. Also kind of odd and random, but this time in a much less creepy sort of way. We made it to the dinner, everything was great, the food was awesome, and then the birthday girl at the end began to open her presents. She got to the last one to find that the card that was attached was addressed not to her, but to Mindy. I could tell Mindy's heart was racing because her breath sort of shortened and her face grew pale. The card was filled with enough sentiment and all around over-the-top sweetness that I'm kind of surprised that she didn't get a cavity right then and there. She didn't get a cavity, but she did get a little black velvet box from me. And as she slowly opened it, her eyes were wide and her pupils narrowed, I realized this is a moment we are going to remember for the rest of our lives. And as she finally opened it all the way, she revealed inside a bunch of tiny, tacky Christmas ornaments. <laughs> the entire table started to laugh and jeer as Mindy's face went from, from pale white to flushed red. I personally thought the idea of a fake proposal at dinner in front of friends was really, really funny. But for some reason, she didn't quite see it that way, as evidenced by the fact that she very overtly and in full view of the table rejected my attempt to hold her hand as like a sort of olive branch. Some people just have no sense of humor, right? Now luckily, once the dinner was over, just a few minutes later, she had cooled down enough that she agreed to go with me to one of the local parks so that we could kind of decompress a little bit before we headed back into the chaos of final projects and work at the end of a college semester. And as soon as we got to the park, I said, 
hey, wouldn't you know, I just so happen to have my laptop here. Why don't we watch the DVD that that random guy gave us at the gas station? Turns out that DVD was going to change her life. Also turns out that that DVD was made by none other than yours truly to aid in the actual marriage proposal that I was about to make. Of course, the entire facade at dinner was really just intentionally, and if I may say so, impeccably executed as an attempt to throw her off my trail for what was coming later that night. The DVD finished with the words on the screen, I love you so much and I can't wait to spend the rest of my life showing you. I just need to ask you one question first. I closed the laptop, I pulled out another bouquet of Gerber daisies that were hiding under my seat. I led her to the very spot that we had had our first kiss. I think I said a few words, but I know I got down on one knee and produced another little black velvet box, but this time it wasn't filled with tacky little Christmas ornaments. This time it was filled with something that up until probably a year or so prior to that night looked something like this. This is a raw diamond. And believe it or not, just to get a raw diamond to the point of looking like this, actually some significant work has probably already gone into it. At the very least, it's been cleansed of dirt and mud and other debris. It might even had to have been chipped away from some layers of solid rock. But even though some work has already gone into getting the diamond to look like this, it's nowhere near done yet. It's nowhere near that final, extraordinary, beautiful product that you buy at the jewelry store. It then goes, you can see this next slide, through a series of cuts, removing even more from it so that it gets to the desired shape. And then it goes through a very extensive polishing process that can remove up to a fifth of a carat from that diamond which gets it to that final, extraordinary, beautiful product. You don't just pluck a raw diamond from the earth and take it straight to a jewelry store. That, that extraordinary beauty, it's, it's, it's always in there, but, but it's covered with layers and layers of ordinary. And I think that is a beautiful picture of the agape love of God at work within each of us. Last week, our friend Chad kicked off a new series called Aim and Arrow. And we're going to spend the next few weeks camped out in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is commonly referred to as the love chapter. And a lot of times, I think we can hear the word love, and our minds immediately go to romance, that romantic kind of love. But as Chad outlined for us last week, there's actually four different concepts of love within the Greek language. There's eros, which is that romantic type of love. There's storge, which is like this familial love. That's most often how it's understood. And then finally, there's philia, uh, which is brotherly or friendship love that unites us as brothers and sisters in Christ. And then the big one, there's agape love which Chad gave us this working definition of agape as to love with self-sacrificial surrender for the good of another person with no expectations of compensation in return. 
And it's actually this selfless, self-sacrificial God, agape love, that Apostle Paul, he's talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which means that love in this instance is about way more than just romance. As DC Talk taught most of us way back in the day, right? Love is a verb, and it requires some action. In fact, when Jesus, when he said that he, he gave us the ultimate command to love one another the way he loved us, he also used this word agape. And because agape, it's, it's all about action, that means that really it's a choice, not a feeling. It, this agape, self-sacrificial, selfless love is very little, if at all, about emotions And because agape love is a choice and not an emotion, that means that that person that absolutely drives you to the ends of the earth frustrated, you can still choose to show them love. Even if someone knows all of the exact right buttons to push to very intentionally get under your skin, you can still choose to show them love. Even if they hurt you in a really big way, you can still choose to show them love. But let me, let me make sure we understand. Choosing to show someone agape love does not mean we give them full license to walk all over us constantly. We tell our students all the time, if they don't treat you superb, you kick their butts to the curb, all right? If, if they ain't acting sweet, then their butts you must yeet, okay? If you don't know what that means, find someone that's under the age of 18, they will explain it to you, all right? Listen, if they ain't got no class, then you get rid of their selves, all right? (laughs) Believe it or not, it is 100% possible to show someone agape love while also setting healthy personal boundaries. Now, Last week, Chad kind of started this off by unpacking what love is, starting in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the first part of verse 4, when Paul tells us that love is patient and kind. So if we are going to obey Jesus' one singular command to love one another the way he loved us, that means we need to start by understanding that that agape love is patient and it's kind. That's the love that Jesus showed. That's the love that God showers you with every single day. God's love for you is patient, and it's kind, which means no matter how many times you mess up, God's love is still patient, and it's kind. That is good news. But after setting a very small baseline of what love is, it's patient and it's kind, Paul then flips gears and starts talking about what love isn't, which may seem kind of weird at first glance, but isn't it true that sometimes it's, it's easier to understand and define a concept by what it isn't as much as it is understanding what it truly is? Like, I might struggle to tell you what good Mexican food is. But I can tell you for dang sure it isn't Taco Bell, all right? We may have a hard time understanding what good acting is, but we know it isn't Nicolas Cage. (laughs) 
We may not be able to very clearly articulate what a good president is. I'm not attaching a name to that one. I'm by a long shot. But I think sometimes by understanding what love isn't, we can better understand and tell others, show others what it is. So Paul tells us that agape love is patient and kind, but then he continues, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. There's a lot that's going on here, so let's just kind of break it down a little bit. He starts, love is not jealous. Or some translations would say love is not envious. This one's hard. It's really hard not to look at my dude's new truck and not just be a little bit jealous of that truck. It's hard not to spend time with that friend who seems to eat nothing but donuts and mac and cheese without gaining a single pound and not be just a twinge envious of their metabolism. It's really hard to see someone who doesn't struggle with social anxiety just kind of work the room at the party with effortless charisma and not wish that was a little bit at least me. But when, when we start to dwell on those things and allow them to shape the way that we treat others, when we allow them to push us to a place of dissatisfaction with who we are and what we have, instead of living out of complete and utter gratitude to God, when I begin to lose sight of who God created me to be because I'm so focused on who he created others to be. That's not love. And because love is a choice and not an emotion, that means I can choose to work toward health in those areas. God has created each of us to be uniquely us. And he has gifted us in unique ways. Just because I'm up here and you're down there or you're watching from home, that doesn't mean that I'm more important than you are, not by a long shot. Just because Craig can sing and Doug can't carry a tune doesn't mean that Doug is less valuable than Craig. It just means that Craig is in the right spot leading worship. Just because you can see colors and I can't and you think you're better than I am, it doesn't mean that I'm somehow less worthy. It just means that you would be the better interior designer. Each of us is unique. But when we allow jealousy to creep in, it devalues who God created us to be. It devalues the God who created us in the first place. And it can start to harm our relationships with others. And that is not agape love. Some of you, I feel like, might need to hear this today. God doesn't just love us equally. That might sound a little bit controversial, but it's true. God doesn't love us just equally. Imagine someone that has a beehive, right? 
she might love her bees and be passionate about those bees, but she's talking about the bees collectively as a group. She might love them all equally. That's not how God loves us. God doesn't just love us equally. He loves us uniquely. That's good news. If you have six kids, you, you get this idea, right? That I have all of these kids and I love them. Not that I have favorites or anything, but I do love them uniquely. We have a different relationship with each and every one of them. God designed you uniquely. He gifted you uniquely. He loves you uniquely. And we can show agape love to others by appreciating their uniqueness as well. But then Paul continues, and he also tells us that love isn't boastful or arrogant. So certainly, we can agree, it's not loving to live out of jealousy, but it's just as unloving to live out of arrogance or pride or boastfulness. To, to let those things affect our relationships, really, those are just two ends of the exact same spectrum, right? Like on one end, you've got jealousy, which is dwelling until the point that it affects our relationships, that you have more or better than I do. That's not love. But the other end of that spectrum is just as unloving to dwell to the point that it affects our relationships, that I have more or better than you do in different areas. And neither end of this spectrum are healthy. Neither end of them is agape love. And I'm sure that we all have experience with just how blurry that line can get between confidence and cockiness, right? Whether that's because we struggle with it or because we know someone who very clearly struggles with it, please don't elbow the person next to you. But I think the difference is that confidence is saying, this is who God created me to be, and I'm confident in that. Whereas arrogance or cockiness would be, this is who God created me to be, and that clearly makes me better than you. But that isn't love. Love isn't arrogant. It doesn't constantly point to self, hoping others will see how awesome we are. It doesn't have an overinflated sense of self-importance to the point that every conversation has to revolve around me because that's not love. Again, agape love is not arrogant, but it also doesn't boast. Because remember, agape love is self-sacrificial surrender for the good of another person, and that last phrase is important here, with no expectation of compensation in return. If we are quote-unquote loving someone else and serving and doing these good things, but we're really only doing it so that others will see us do it, that's not agape love. Motives matter, when it comes to agape love. In fact, Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, starting in verse 1, he says, Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. Agape love isn't boastful, so we have to choose humility. Choose to skip the Instagram post about how you just bought some of your friend's groceries because they're going through a tough month. 
choose when you're at that party and you hear someone kind of bragging like, I just did two hours of community service and you're in the back of your mind thinking, I've logged hundreds of hours. Just, just choose to let it go. Be quiet in that moment. Choose to love other people, to serve other people, even if they don't see you doing it. Gentlemen, I think I've said this before, but contrary to popular opinion, if you wash a dish and no one sees you do it, it still counts, okay? Ladies, even if he doesn't notice that you very clearly gave him the larger slice of cake and that's all that's left, it's okay from time to time because agape, those are moments of agape love, of serving someone, caring for them, and not expecting anything in return. We don't do it because we want to be noticed for doing it, because love isn't boastful or arrogant. And then Paul tells us that love also isn't rude, or the NIV actually says that love doesn't dishonor others. This one's big, because our words are powerful. And I completely understand, certainly. It is completely possible to be really, really rude to someone and to dishonor them in a big way without saying a single word. So obviously, our actions are very, very important as well. But I think maybe more than just about anything else, our words have the power to either build someone up or to completely tear them down. Our words linger with people. It's also really hard because in a given moment, we can be knocking it out of the park, we're doing great, and then all of a sudden someone makes us mad, and in a split second, we go from agape love to destructively rude if we don't pause to choose our words wisely. Did you know that nitroglycerin is the active ingredient in dynamite? It's literally what makes dynamite go boom. And some of you are probably already intimately aware that nitroglycerin is also a heart medication. People literally take nitroglycerin to allow more blood and oxygen to flow to and from their hearts, which means that this one substance has the power to be incredibly destructive or to bring life. And it's the exact same way with our words. With our words, we can absolutely wreak havoc in someone's internal conversation without even trying. Or we can also speak truth and life into people and build them up and take them off the edge of whatever it is that they are facing. And it's all a matter of choosing our words wisely. I'm guessing most of you don't know this, but my middle name is Allison, and that's not a joke. <laughs> my name is Tommy Allison Cummins. Now, I can stand before you as a 33-year-old man with a beard and this voice, and I am totally confident in that. But as a child... <laughs> That was not super easy. Like today, I'm actually pretty proud of that middle name because that has been handed down for generations through my family of Cummins males that have the middle name Allison. That middle name survived the Great Depression on farms in Texas and Oklahoma. 
That middle name played major roles in battles in both world wars. In fact, one of them, my grandpa, played a major significant role in the victory at the Battle of the Bulge. His name was Buford Allison Cummins. I'm so proud of that. But I didn't really know all of that as a child, not that it would have really made that big of a difference, right? And so one time in first grade, they are, these kids are just letting me have it in a major way to the point that I'm almost crying before this teacher walks up and says, hey, 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 what's going on here? So I kind of sheepishly just said, uh, they're making fun of me because my, my, my middle name is Allison. And he kind of just got this look on his face, and I was like, oh boy, here it comes. And he paused for longer than was comfortable. (laughs) But when he finally spoke, he asked, well, how do you spell it? And I was a little confused, but I I said, A-L-L-I-S-O-N. And he said, oh, well, that's the boy's spelling of Allison. Now, we all know that's a complete farce, right? (laughs) But in that moment, it's like all of the air went out of all of those kids that were making fun of me. It felt as if he had poured water onto a fire when he just as easily could have poured gasoline onto it. And all of these years later, I have never forgotten that act of extreme kindness, all because he was very intentional with the words that he chose in a moment when others were choosing the way more destructive form of nitroglycerin. Now, I tried that routine myself a few more times growing up, and no one else bought it when I was the one that said, that's the boy's spelling of Allison. But at least in that moment, his words made a big difference. Because agape love isn't rude, and it doesn't dishonor others. It's wise, and it chooses its words carefully. And then Paul says it doesn't demand its own way. It's collaborative. It seeks the best for everyone involved, not just for one person. Agape love is okay going to Taco Bell from time to time, even though we'd much rather go to Chick-fil-A. Agape love is okay with not getting its first choice of vacation spot because, man, I'm just excited we're going to be together. Agape love is okay spending extra time having a tough conversation so that we can find a healthy compromise in our relationship because agape love does not demand its own way. Love certainly is patient and kind, but by recognizing what it isn't will help us to better reflect what it is. And it isn't boastful or arrogant or or jealous or rude, and it doesn't demand its own way. And here's the good news in all of this. Because as Chad said last week, it can be so easy to hear this list and, and just immediately focus on all the areas where we are missing it where we are missing the mark. But the good news is that in in 1 John chapter 4, it tells us that God is love. And in Genesis chapter 1, 
It tells us that we were created in the very image of God. That means not only does God shower us with perfect agape love, but actually that means that we were created in the very image of agape love. Now, certainly we don't always perfectly reflect that perfect image of agape love, but that does mean that agape love is woven into the very fibers of our being. So it actually, it actually frustrates me to no end when people say, I'm only human, as if that somehow explains away all of our faults, because being human means that we were created in the very image of love, created in the very image of a perfect God who is perfect love. And certainly, we're not always going to perfectly reflect that perfect love, not by a long shot, because we are people in process, but it's there within who we are. It's just been covered up by layers of dirt and mud and debris and pain and sin and brokenness. In fact, these things, it's kind of like that diamond. That if we allow God to slowly and painstakingly remove all of those things that are keeping us from reflecting that perfect light and that perfect love, then all along in that process of being cleaned up, of being trimmed away, of, uh, of being polished, every step of the way, we will more and more and better and better reflect the agape love of God. Our natures, our new natures in Jesus Christ, those natures that really were there all along. So that's our main thought for the day. To remove the ordinary, to reveal the extraordinary. Remove the ordinary to reveal the extraordinary. Because our love is so filled with that jealousy, the envy, boastfulness, the pride and arrogance and rudeness and insistence. Those are, those are so common that they've just kind of become the ordinary. They've sort of become the norm to the point that we almost expect to see them in others so, so that when we get a tiny little glimpse of true agape love from someone else, that is extraordinary. It looks and feels so incredibly different. But agape love is allowing God to remove the ordinary, to reveal the extraordinary. And again, will we be perfect in that? Absolutely not. We are people in process. But Paul, Paul tells us that actually we won't perfectly reflect that until the day of completion when we stand face to face with Jesus. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't strive with everything that we are to reflect that better and better in the here and now. Again, that was Jesus' one commandment, to love one another the way I have loved you. And we do that better by allowing God to remove the ordinary, to reveal the extraordinary. Which means 
that God is not asking you to become something that you are not already. He's simply asking you to let go of the sin and the selfishness and the anger and the pride and the carelessness with our words and with our actions so that he can clean us up and chip away everything that shouldn't be there and polish us up until all that's left is that extraordinary diamond. Kind of like the one I gave Mindy all those years ago. And to everybody's surprise, despite the fact that I had just fake proposed to her a little bit before, she actually said yes. And we have spent every day since trying to reflect to one another that perfect agape love better and better, not only to each other, but to everyone around us as well. And I can tell you with full confidence that we do a better job of that today than we did 10 years ago when we said I do. But I can also tell you with full confidence that we are nowhere near where we want to be in that journey. And that's okay because that's what, that's what walking with Jesus is all about. Taking those steps towards him, learning to better reflect him every single day. That's why this series is called Aim and Arrow, because that is what we are shooting for. And just like the video of Aaron trying to shoot that bow and arrow, we're going to miss, we're going to mess up a lot. But God's love is patient and it's kind. So let's choose. Even when we don't feel it, even when we don't feel like it, let's choose to show others agape love this week as we allow God to remove the ordinary, to reveal the extraordinary that is already within us because of Jesus. Let me say a quick word of prayer. God, I thank you so much for your incredible love. God, your love that as we sing in one of our songs meets us exactly where you are, where we are. God, you love us as you find us. And yet at the same time, your love is too good to leave us where you find us. You want to you lead us out of that brokenness and pain and the destruction that we cause and the destruction that has been caused in us. You want to bring us to a place of health and wholeness and healing where when others look at us, they see a little glimmer of you at work in our lives. So Father, help us to be so intentional about loving others the way you have loved us and to take steps towards removing all of the ordinary until all that's left is the extraordinary love that you have and that you've placed within us. It's your name that we pray, amen.